Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeetings.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Vancast to take you into uh, a long weekend, although this whole life right now, I suppose, feels like uh, a never-ending weekend. Jay Patton Drancer with you to brighten your spirits. Uh, you know, Easter dinners aren't going to be the same as usual, Drancer. There won't be the extended family around, but, uh, you know, we would suggest whether it's, uh, you know, just you and a couple or you and the kids uh, get an Easter dinner together over the weekend and fire up the Vancast. You can make it a new tradition uh, around the household. <laughs> Yeah, well, you can um, you can put like the the phone that's playing the Vancast right beside sort of the big Easter egg on the Easter egg hunt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it can be like the carrion call for the kids. Uh, it'll be like follow J Pat's voice. <laughs> you'll, you'll get to the big mini egg. <laughs> that's the big prize at the end of the hunt. Yes, I like it. Yeah. I, I think- Again, look, (laughs) we're serious, people. Make this part of your Easter egg hunt. Uh, How are you holding up, uh, by the way, through all of this? Yeah, I'm doing all right. My my diet's about 80% um, canned fish, uh, 15% mini eggs, and 5% vodka. Um, But it's working for me. Like, uh, I'm I'm actually streamlining down a little bit. I've I've lost a bit of weight, uh, trying to stay disciplined day to day. But, you know, obviously it's tough. We're, We're getting to the point where... You know, a lot of listeners might be listening to this on Good Friday, and that'll be exactly a month since the Canucks last played their game. But doesn't it feel like 10 times longer than that, J-Pat? No, absolutely it does. And, uh, (laughs) you know, we don't have, like, for me, and we've talked about this throughout, but, like, you know, don't have the schedule. Like, before, I used to have the schedule as sort of a signpost of, you know, they were going to be here tonight or this game was going on. Now, uh, regular season's over, and I'm sort of just drifting out there in the ether. So uh, I I need my schedule. (laughs) For six months a year, I like, that is my life, Uh, the schedule, the NHL schedule. And uh, who knows whether they would have been playing hockey or not. Uh, Just a couple of things I want to get to. One is, and you've probably seen this, uh, apparently the Easter Bunny is now an essential service. (laughs) Yes, I've liked that. The the governments all over the world have made it very clear, um, you know, with a variety of puns, that the Easter Bunny is, (laughs) is, is spared of social distancing protocols and is permitted to visit households and, and deliver eggs. And you know, I, I just don't understand who that's for, J-Pat. Like, kids aren't watching these briefings, right? Like, the governor of Rhode Island or the prime minister of New Zealand and, and John Horgan. Like, these are various people who've, like, gone out of their way to put out official government statements or releases insisting to the public that, in fact, the Easter Bunny can visit your home. And it's like, who, 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 who is the audience for this? Like, who, who are you trying to reach? Am I right, crazy I, here? I, no, not at all. But I think it's them just bringing a little levity into their own. Like, it tells you where they are uh, in all of this. That every, <laughs> right. every day is, you know, behind closed doors, graphs and charts of, you know, flattening the curve. And then somebody says, 
oh yeah, like did you see so and so made the Easter Bunny an essential service? And I can just see them like busting a gut and you know like that celebrity <laughs> around a table these days. And then they you know they steal from each other and and when they get to the podium, uh, that's part of the material. But like look, look this is where we are. Uh, I saw yesterday that uh, some guy at the White House asked Trump about Tiger King. So uh, you know it's not just you and me that are sort of out of. Uh, material on some days, uh, I think universally that's where we are as a society now. You know, those Trump briefings have been weird to watch just in the context that JPAT were kind of used to being pretty regularly in briefings, albeit, uh, you know, <laughs> not with someone who conducts himself the way Trump does in Travis Green. Uh, you know, despite the fact that we, we like to poke fun at occasionally, um, you know, some of his sort of handling of questions and the size and on and on. I mean, we're, we're on record doing that at length. But, you know, that sort of question specifically stood out to me as something I never want to do. Because, you know, I mean, even on that Tanner Pearson Zoom call, which we should get into a little bit, like, I often like to ask the weird question or the funny question, right? And I'm sure that's what that reporter thought he was doing. But I couldn't get over the dissonance between the fact that he works for the New York Post. Like, there are thousands of people dying a day in New York, and you're asking the president about Tiger King? That blew my mind, J-Pat. No, you are so so right on that one. It's funny, but it's sad, you know? Like, it's just like, come on. That's not okay. Like, I hope when I'm asking silly questions that I'm not crossing that line at any point. I, I, I don't think I have. Obviously, generally, I'm not asking about life and death stuff either, but... Um, yeah, that, that, that really, that really rubbed me the wrong way. If I'm being honest, I want to get into, uh, the topic that we kind of touched on in the last podcast. And I I think it's a fascinating one and it really is going to sort of drive everything that the Canucks organization does in this off season, whenever the off season officially begins. And that is the next contracts for both Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. And so we'll get to that in a sec, but you mentioned Tanner Pearson, uh, actually, it was a fairly busy week for Canucks uh, in the public sphere. Uh, Tanner Pearson did a Zoom. Uh, Antoine Roussel did an Instagram Q&A with the Canucks uh, from his sugar shack uh, back home in Quebec. <laughs> uh, he's on the I maple syrup farm or factory or what? I'm not sure what you call it, but uh, it's just tremendous. tree farm involved. And I don't, did you catch the coach on uh, the radio uh, with Sakaris and Price? I did. I did catch him with Sakaris and Price. I thought he seemed very relaxed. Don't you think? No, a hundred percent. Like when you said it's only, you know, it hasn't even been a month since they were in the heat of the battle and playing games. And look, he and I had our little exchange and, and he was, you know, you could just like the pressure was on him a month ago. He felt just listening to it there. Uh, like he was on a desert island without a care in the world, like the summer breeze blowing through his his hair. And like I couldn't get over how relaxed he seemed just a, a month removed from games and given where we are uh, in this global situation. I also was surprised just because Travis strikes me very much so as someone who I'm sure is, in fact, not relaxed, right? Like who I'm sure would rather be working by a lot. Oh, um, yeah. You know, so... But, you know, I thought the comments like about how they'll learn a lot about players and, you know, you got to stay motivated and you can only do what you'd like. You know, I I like that. I sort of tried to use it a little bit to get back to work in my own (laughs) day to day yesterday. So he seemed really relaxed. And the one other thing that that I took away from it was he touched briefly on, you know, his family and and his son Brody, um, you know, who I hadn't realized was nonverbal. I I knew that his son was, uh, you know, battled autism, but I didn't know that he... 
um, was nonverbal. And it, it made me sort of reconsider the, the size in particular, right? Like there might be something about green where he's actually, because of his family member, right? He's, he's used to dealing with a family member who, you know, he needs to communicate with non-verbally. I wonder if he's sort of subconsciously very good at figuring out ways of getting the message across to people, whether it's the media, whether it's fans, whether it's players, without, um, you know, actually using words at all. And, and I kind of sort of that comment, I don't know why I'd never sort of thought about it that way, but that comment sort of made me look at the size in a bit of a different light, if that makes sense. Uh yeah, I, I think so. Like, you know, we see him as a hockey coach in our day-to-day operation. You don't necessarily take the whole family context into account. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think you're wrong when you're going down that avenue. Uh, and, you know, for all these guys in hockey, you hear them all say, like, you know, they're getting time with their family that they wouldn't otherwise get. And so, you know, that's sort of the positive spin. And uh, when you're a coach in the NHL, like, you are all in, right? Like, you know, we joke that there aren't many days off, but there are no days off uh, in the National Hockey League if you're a head coach or even on a coaching staff. And so uh, it's a forced break. But, you know, if there is a silver lining, I suppose it is a fact that Travis Green gets a chance to spend a little bit more time with his family. Uh, I, the Antoine Roussel Instagram was funny. I mean, I said he was in the sugar shack. I mean, those are his own words. He's always funny, eh? I love the... I love the backdrop, though. Like, he had uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. an old blocker and catcher, like the brown leather uh, blocker and catcher. Uh, he had a uh, pair of old gloves on the wall. Like, it's outfitted uh, sort of throwback hockey. Uh, he said his father-in-law you know, had sort of picked up some memorabilia along the way. There was a, a picture of Antoine Roussel as a member of the Dallas Stars uh, as well uh, on the wall of the Sugar Shack. But there were a couple of things he said. It was kind of short, and, you know, it was... Like, you don't need many questions for Antoine Roussel, right? Like, you just wind him up and, and away you go. Uh, but there were a couple of things that jumped out for me in that. One was, and we've touched on this, Drancer, he was asked who's the funniest Canuck, and he didn't hesitate, and he said Jacob Markstrom, which comes right back to this idea that Markstrom's holding out on us. He, he is 100% holding out on us. There's no question about that. And, yeah, no, that's... Wild, eh? Like, if you asked me who the least funny Canuck is, like, it's Markstrom with a bullet in terms of talking to him in the locker room, right? Like, yeah, he's he had one scrum last year where he made a couple of jokes, and we all sort of left it and we're like, wow, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> but the I also liked Roussel's answer about, um, you know, he sort of had the rejoinder for JT Miller, <laughs> which yes. I appreciated, yeah. right? He he obviously picked JT Miller as the teammate he'd le- least like to be quarantined with for the same reason, as he said. And then I also enjoyed this sort of little bit of symmetry, which was Green on with Sakaris and Price saying, you know, there's no excuse. If you're a bike guy, get a bike. If you're, you know, a runner, you can go run. Like, there's no excuse to not be in game shape when you report back. And then the very next day, we'd get the zoom call with Tanner Pearson and Tanner Pearson's like, the first thing I did was buy a Peloton. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I love that. I also enjoyed that Tanner Pearson, like your boy is on team disinfect your groceries. I think it's uh, a excellent, good, good, (laughs) good stuff from Pearson. Yeah. And just one more on Roussel. Somebody asked him about, you know, his favorite thing about Vancouver and he raved about the city and, the restaurants that the owner owns and, you know, just like all the outdoor activities. And then he said, and I love the fact that I could rollerblade to the rink. 
And I'm thinking, like, how do we not have some video of Come Antoine on. Roussel rollerblading to work? Oh, that's unbelievable. I did not, I, I missed that entirely. I did not realize that Antoine Roussel rollerbladed to the arena. That's well, I, I Now I need some more details because I don't know if it's a regular thing, if it's like on game day or if it was when he was rehabbing perhaps last summer and or late, you know, last season, whatever the case, or even earlier uh, this year before he got back <laughs> in the lineup. But so Do you I'm think not he's sure ever the- done it in a suit? <laughs> he's ever done it like right before the game, like dressed to the want, nines in accordance with the, the NHL dress code. Oh yeah. man, now we need. You're right. We need details on that. We need. So a, people, we need aggressive follow up. Step up, uh, VIPs. If you see a guy in a suit on rollerblades and he looks like he's going to the rink, uh, get the camera rolling because it could very well be <laughs> Antoine Roussel. Uh, Canucks fans acting as paparazzi on the seawall like it's 2011. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, there's a history there. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's it. get into this, because you brought up the name McDavid the other day when we were talking about Elias Pettersson, and, and I think, you know, you sit up and you take notice when you put Elias Pettersson in Connor McDavid's company in any category, but everything the Canucks do this year uh, will be done with an eye to... Uh, those second contracts for both Elias Pettersson and, and Quinn Hughes. And, you know, in a normal world, July 1st, they would have had the opportunity to uh, negotiate, I suppose, and ultimately sign uh, that second contract coming out of the ELC, just given where we are and, and not knowing the timing and not knowing the salary cap. Like, do you see any way that either Pettersson or Hughes signs that second contract early? I don't. Not not this summer, anyway. I think there's going to be too much uncertainty. Uh, you know, I talked to Jim about this, what, in January? And he said he didn't think they'd get done for July 1st back then. And that was in a much more sort of predictable world prior to this black swan event we're all living through right now. Now, with all of the, you know, uncertainty about what the cap level is going to be for multiple years, right? Less sort of a sense that the cap is going to accelerate as significantly as we might otherwise have expected it to uh, in terms of the you know level of the upper limit because of expansion and because of the impact of a new US TV deal um, you know I think that completely changes the conversation and the environment and you know makes caution sort of something that was much more or that is much more likely important Uh, decisive in shaping the decision-making from the Canucks end. Now, in handicapping these two deals, I never thought that Hughes was likely to get done this summer just because the defense market is so weird in that it never has reset really, right? Like we're still in a paradigm that dates back to 2011 when Drew Doughty signed his second contract, which was seven years at seven and a half million dollars. And it took six years for Aaron Ekblad to tie that and it took nine years for Thomas Shabbat to beat it eight years I guess eight and a half for Thomas Shabbat to beat it and because of that and because Hughes is going to be hitting restricted free agency at the exact same time as Rasmus Dahlin Kale McCarr and Miro Heskinen like what an unbelievable second contract (laughs) defender class right just ridiculous Because of that, I always thought it made sense for all four of those guys to kind of wait and see what happens. Like, someone's going to beat Shabbat's mark. They have to. Like, 
Quinn Hughes just had what? Something like 60 points, like pretty close to 60 points. So what? He had 53 points in 68 games. Yeah. Would, have, would have probably hit 65 as a 20-year-old, right? Thomas Shabbat had 25 points in 63 games as a 21-year-old. Followed that up with 55 points in 70. And that earned him a record-setting second contract. Like, by the time Quinn Hughes is able to compare his first two seasons, like his entry-level production to Thomas Shabbat's, you know, he's going to blow him out of the water. Like, there's going to be no argument that $8 million is going to be enough. And so if you're Hughes, like, you got to wait. you got to wait and make sure that, you know, you're not going to sign a deal that then Makar is going to beat by $2 million or whatever, right? Like, that's just how the business works. So I always thought Hughes was going to be a little trickier because of the way that his fate is intertwined with this class of peers, this phenomenal, outrageous, you know, cornerstone defenseman class, unlike anything we've ever seen, that has a chance to fundamentally reshape the market for second contract defenders in the same way that the likes of Marner, Matthews, Jack Eichel, and McDavid have done for second contracts for forwards. And I want to get to Pedersen in a sec, but let's just stay with Hughes because you laid out that pretty clearly there. What about a guy like Mikhail Sergachev this year coming out of his entry-level contract? Like, what can he do, if anything, to, to shape the market? Well, at the end of the day, too, the thing to remember about Mikhail Sergachev is that his, and, and this is true for all of the Tampa Bay Lightning players, but they are, what impacts their value is almost more the own internal constraints that Tampa Bay is looking right. at than it is their actual market value. Like, that's a big reason why Braden Point's ultimate value, for example, didn't get altered by the likes of Besser and Marner and company, right? So Sergeyev's going to be looking at a, at a more limited sort of pool of available cap space because of the nature of Tampa Bay's perpetual cap crunch. And, you know, what they're going to be able to offer, though, is, and especially in a realm where, um, you know, players might be looking at 30 plus percent escrow, right? Like, hey, Mikhail, like, one year here, you can use us as a tax shelter this season. You know what I'm saying? Like, you go you go anywhere else, you're going to lose 30% of your paycheck to escrow, plus whatever the tax rate is in X state. You know, if you're California, talking California or Vancouver, like you're talking about, you're not, next, next season there are going to be players who earn like 40% of their salary once you factor in escrow and, and taxes in whatever market they play in. And in Florida that impact is diminished significantly. So that's going to be another sort of factor that a team like Tampa Bay, a team like Arizona, a team like Nashville, a team like the Florida Panthers can wield, not just in negotiations with, you know, guys like Mikhail Sergeyev, but also, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how the market for like those one-year veteran players plays out this summer, because I think that's going to be a pretty significant impact on how those agents and players uh, make their decisions. So, Sergeyev's an interesting case, but the other thing to just keep in mind when it comes to Sergeyev is, you know, we're talking about a guy who's at 40, 32, 34 points, you know, over his first three years. I mean, incredible two-way results, you know, extremely good player, but the stratosphere that the other four guys are in, just in terms of their production and minutes, 
um, I do think is going to be of another variety. Like Sergeyev, I think, could maybe get into that, you know, sort of long set Pietrangelo, Seth Jones, Morgan Riley, like five plus on a second contract if he wasn't playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But I don't think he's the guy who's likely to reset the market. He's not likely to be the Jack Eichel for the defensive market in the same way that I think one of, if not all four of, the Heskin and Makar, Dolan, Hughes class might be the following summer. Do you think it is a given that the Canucks try to go max deals with both Pedersen and Hughes at this stage of their careers? I, I don't think it's a given by any means, partly because it takes two to tango. Like these guys might prefer shorter deals, especially in a world where the cap is flat for a couple seasons or there's some uncertainty. I mean, why would you want to be hitting the deal that you're going to be stuck with through, you know, your age 27, 28 season in a world that's sort of shaking off what it is we're going through now economically, right? Like maybe actually what's occurred makes bridge deals more likely because it permits the can to get kicked down the road to a future that looks brighter and and perhaps has more certainty involved so that you have sort of better footing. On the other hand, I, I do think there's a human instinct in the face of uncertainty to grab what certainty you can. So it'll be interesting to see. I think that ultimately in both the case of both players, you know, and as a result of what has occurred, I do think a lot more of it is going to be dictated by personal decisions, like personal risk aversion levels, as opposed to sort of the more predictable flow of NHL league business, which is sort of the the vector with, through which I've been analyzing this to this point. Like there is a unpredictable element that's being introduced by what we're all living through right now through this COVID-19 pandemic. And I do think that has a, has a, the potential anyway to shape these second contract outcomes. And, and particularly, I do think you're right. I do think it actually, you know, in some ways makes bridge type contracts, two, three year deals, uh, somewhat more likely for both of these players. All right, let's move on to Pedersen because uh, we know that he's getting paid. I mean, there's there's no doubt. I mean, both he and Hughes are going to, but but Elias Pedersen, we pointed out last podcast, I mean, back-to-back 66-point seasons, basically a point-a-game guy, and 0.95 uh, points per game to this stage in his career with another season in which he should, in theory, only get better if he can stay healthy, uh, given the line mates, given the surroundings. You know, it, it does look like the sky is the limit for this guy. Uh, you know, you mentioned Connor McDavid. You know, can the Canucks in any way use Leon Dreisaitl at eight and a half as any kind of uh, artificial barrier to you know double digits if the best player or the highest scorer in the league is it on an eight and a half million dollar a year contract, or uh, does the Dreisaitl deal not impact this in any way? In any way, the horse has left the barn. Leon Dreisaitl was Jack Eichel's deal before Jack Eichel's deal was Jack Eichel's deal, and that it fundamentally. Like, when Leon Dreisaitl signed his 8.5 uh, times $8 million contract, it was a world in which there were people who thought Vladimir Tarasenko, who signed it six times seven five two years prior, that that was an outlier contract. You know, a contract that people in the industry reacted to with, well, I understand why the player signed that deal, but I don't understand why the team did. And... Leon Dreisaitl fundamentally altered that perspective when he signed his contract in, you know, the late summer of 2017. 
And within three, four weeks, Jack Eichel signed an eight-year times $10 million contract that completely blew the water over, uh, uh, the sort of the, the barn doors open, as it were. And that's changed. Like, that's what's so interesting about the flatness of the defender market for second contract guys over a decade to the life of two CBAs is that the paradigm never altered. Whereas with the for- with forwards, we've seen it alter several times over, including most notably twice in, sh- in quick succession back in the summer of 2017. And then again, with what the Maple Leafs sort of went through with Marner and Matthews uh, just over the past 12 months, really to the point where lines have blurred almost entirely between RFAs and UFAs when it comes to top end forwards. And, and that's kind of what we saw play out with the likes of Besser and Connor and Lion A uh, and company this summer and and why those deals all to a man took so long to get done. When you look at, you know, the first two years, right? Like Dreisaitl gets paid in the summer of 17 and he's played three seasons to that point, right? He had one 77 point season, which would be in and about the points per game rate that Pedersen has managed in his first two years. But in his first two seasons, he combined for 60 points in, you know, 110 games, right? Which which yeah. obviously does not. So when you look through the points per game rate of the guy, you know, on his entry-level deal, and granted Dreisaitl, uh, you know, entered the league a year earlier than Pedersen, but nonetheless, you know, you're talking about a guy who's going to be in a, you know, 0.8 points per game rate in Dreisaitl's case and, and hitting 8.5. And Pedersen, who's going to be at 0.95 and maybe higher, especially if his, you know, if he plays out all of next season prior to signing his deal. Um, You know, I think when all is said and done, not only will the Dreisaitl contract not be sort of an anchor to peg to for the Canucks because it's an outdated deal, an outdated comp, an old-fashioned one, but also because Pedersen's underlying resume maybe, I think will be, most likely, superior to Dreisaitl's in fact. And so, you know, I'd look at 8.5 as uh, well below the floor of where our expectations should be set for those reasons. All right, so if you're the Canucks or you're a Canuck fan, uh, heading into this again, whatever this offseason looks like whenever it starts, uh, what about Matt Barzell? Wins the Rookie of the Year. An 85-point rookie season, backed up by 62 and 60-point seasons. Uh, Pedersen hasn't had an 85-point season yet, but has been slightly higher uh, each of the last two years. Um, you know how, how much impact, if any, or you know what kind of comp is Matt Barzell to Elias Pedersen? Yeah, Matt Barzell is going to be a really fascinating comp to watch for. You know, because again, we're talking about a pretty high points per game rate here, right? Like we're talking about. 207 points over 234 games, which is, you know, close to 0.9. So he's getting into that territory where, you know, I mean, I, I think he he's in that ter- he's in that Matthews Marner Eichel territory for sure, where I would expect, you know, his if he goes long, if he goes eight years on his next deal. And, and granted, again, as we've discussed, COVID-19 creates some uncertainty around that. But in the event that he decides to um, do that kind of contract, you know, certainly we'd be expecting, I would be expecting it to, you know, be an extension that has, 
you know, eight figures attached to it, i.e. the cap hit would begin with uh, two digits, right? Like it would be right. a 10 yep. million plus. But again, when you look at the similarity, I guess, of him and Pedersen's overall, you know, oeuvre, resume, whatever, um, <laughs> you know, where you're, you're looking at a pretty comparable piece. But again, and this is sort of the price you pay for getting elite talent, Matt Barzell's going to be negotiating his ELC off a points per game rate that's 0.88. Elias Pettersson's going to be negotiating, or if he were negotiating this summer, um, with a points per game rate of 0.95. So that's doesn't sound like a huge gulf, like it's only 0.07, but it's actually really significant when you look at sort of the history of guys in recent seasons who's, who've come off their ELCs. Uh, Pedersen's going to have a better case than Matt Barzell. So again, whatever you see Barzell get, most likely that's going to be a floor and potentially like a very sort of unrealistic floor in the event that Pedersen can, you know, be point per game or better next season, he could really blow it out of the water um, and get into that sort of higher end Matthews and McDavid territory just based on, you know, just just on the virtue of his own individual performance. Right. So Austin Matthews, is, uh, his annual average value is 11.6, Marner at 10.8. Uh, I think we've already established that, you know, there's going to have to be a Thomas Shabbat type contract waiting for Quinn Hughes and that the, you know, the bidding will only go up from there. So, you know, just for the sake of this argument, uh, Hughes has to know that eight times eight is probably the kind of deal that it's available to him, but you know, there's probably more there for the taking if he has another season like he did this year. If we're trying to set the bar for Canuck fans, just to give an overall sense combined, these two guys, Pedersen and Hughes, if I set the line at like 19 and a half mil as the AAV uh, for a bunch of years moving forward, over or under? I'm taking the over and, and let me get into why, you know, with Matthews at 11.634, right? Yep. The, the key thing to remember there is not the cap hit because that's not directly comparable to McDavid's 13-ish and Jack Eichel's 10 for the reason that those contracts both bought out three um or sorry four unrestricted free agent seasons they're eight-year deals matthews signed a five-year deal the leafs only got one of his ufa seasons at a cap hit of 11.6 plus right and that's a key key thing here because that restrains the value of his aav and creates an environment where you know in four years time he's going to be a 26 year old you know, unrestricted free agent, likely likely among the elite NHL goal scorers over the life of his current contract, and has a chance to become at that point. In fact, I would bet heavily that he does become at that point, so long as he stays healthy, uh, the highest paid NHL player um, in the cap era, like ever, probably. So, you know, that's a really significant thing to keep in mind here, is that the Leafs bought less at a cap hit that's still a lot higher than Jack Eichel's. And and really, I would probably, you know, say that Matthews is likely to out-earn Connor McDavid on the in the eight seasons out of his entry-level contract, you know, like over the same sort of run of their 
yeah. respective yeah. careers as McDavid made. So that's a key thing to remember. And, and Marner, Marner at the 10.8 or 10.9, um, that's only a six-year deal too. So they got two UFA seasons out of him. So, you know, in the event that Vancouver is looking to go eight with both, I would say they are blowing that, you know, sort of level, the, the over-under, bet the over by a lot. If they go under, if they go for shorter years, if they go bridge deals, it'll come in in and around there or maybe a little bit under. Uh, but, you know, I think on five or six year contracts, that's probably about where your expectations should be set. In all likelihood, I think the Canucks would prefer to go long with both. And I think over uh, if you set the over under for me at 20.5 on eight year deals for those two players, I'd probably bet the over uh, but I maybe wouldn't bet a piece of gu- uh, sorry a pack of gum on it. <laughs> well, we still have to figure we have to figure out what exactly we're playing for when we get to name that Canuck, and we'll do that in a sec because uh, we started that the right. other day, and now I know why Jason King was uh, the focus of your name that Canuck because you wrote about him and his uh, remarkable month that uh, he had with Daniel and Henrik, and uh, yeah, some good off. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's the off season, but uh, non playing. Uh, days. It was uh, some good reading material. I enjoyed that one. And uh, thank you, sir. Uh, yes, it was it fun is, to re-examine uh, that because I don't think I, I I hadn't really gone through it through the lens of like what we understand now about regression and shooting percentage uh, before. So for me, anyway, it opened my eyes as I thought about like how would I have covered Jason King if that happened this if that happened now, and I think. I, we can be pretty confident that we would have been Jason King's skeptics on this podcast. All right. Well, we provided, I think, a pretty good framework then of uh, the next contracts for both Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes and hopefully give some people uh, just a general sense of what the Canucks are looking at. And again, keep all of that in mind as they go into this offseason and need to get deals done for, you know, some of uh, Jacob Markstrom, Tyler Toffoli, possibly Chris Tanev, and then the RFAs that are, well, Levo is a UFA as well, and then you've got Vertanen, and you've got Stetcher, you've got Adam Gaudet. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done here. I know Jim Benning's been remarkably quiet uh, these days, but hopefully behind the scenes, uh, you know, there's a fair bit of work getting done. Uh, but until they know the, the salary cap numbers, it's pretty hard to dive into contract discussions with players and their agents. All right, let's finish up. A little bit of fun heading into the Easter weekend. Uh, you had your go. Uh, what Are we going one and a half? Do I get the bonus point or do I have to just settle yeah. for one? No, you get the bonus one. point. Well, it'll be, a, one it'll be a one. Yeah, it'll be a one and a half. It'll help us avoid any ties. Okay. As I see uh, it. Well, then let's, uh, it's my turn to try to stump you. So let's see where it goes here. Uh, this guy, his middle name is Stanley. And he has his first and last names on the Stanley Cup. Ooh. Hmm. Canucks. I don't expect won you to know every Stanley Canuck. Cup. Yeah, I don't expect you to know every no. guy's middle name. But honestly, it's a... hard. It's it's hard to even come up with former Canucks who won. You know, like uh, well, Willie Mitchell. Have... Will, 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 Willie Mitchell. No, but like I didn't have a guess after the first clue the other day. But it's not Willie Mitchell. Okay. Uh, second clue. He's an outdoorsman by NHL standards. It's not David Booth. Uh, <laughs> he, he's an outdoorsman by NHL standards because he played in the Heritage Classic. Ooh. Ooh. Um, the Heritage Classic. Okay. Not David Booth, so 
I'm guessing he was on the 1314 Canucks, um, which was the torts year. So that's Sean Matthias. Oh, is it is it Brad Richardson? Oh, nicely done. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. That good stuff. So so that was that, those were good clues, man. That was perfect. And and here's the other reason we're giving you one and a half is I wouldn't have done like I thought the Godfather thing was like a pretty good tell. You know what I mean? Like, I, but I didn't yeah. realize you weren't. Uh, 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 you should watch that, by the way. That's a perfect. <laughs> Um, that's a perfect thing for you to do in social distancing. It's three hours long and it's brilliant. But I, I expect, I thought that was an easy one. Like I thought that would lead you directly to it. So I was like, okay, I have to spell this quote, you know? So, so I think, I think that's why you get the one and a half, but that was good. I okay. like that. That Well done, sir. The third clue was suffered a gruesome leg injury at Rogers arena, but not oh, as yeah. a member of the Canucks. Yes. No, I would have, I would have had that for sure if I hadn't, um, figured out the heritage classic part no that's good i like that well done jeff yeah. thank you and for people who don't remember trampkin basically tipped him over and just crushed his his leg uh that so was, he may not yeah that was something that was like yeah. that was i mean i was in florida for that and and that was like being watched on cell phones around the locker room people were just like what um just a just such a weird injury and and just a sign of the you know, unique physical power that Triamkin was able to bring and, and just how dangerous this sport can be. Uh, just a reminder to the audience, too, for, if you get the name that Canuck on the first clue, you get three points. Second, you get two. Third, you get one. The overall standings through round one, back and forth, uh, is two points for me, one and a half points for JPAT. And that's good because I need to win one after losing the gum bet in such disappointing fashion. Yeah, so we'll continue this uh, ongoing game show uh, following the Easter weekend. Just before we run, uh, Colton Pareko of the St. Louis Blues is going to join Jeremy Rutherford and Barrett Jackman on We Went Blues this week at The Athletic. That's a a St. Louis Blues podcast, so if you're looking to hear from a a current NHLer. uh, And I thought that was cool, too, that the league had sort of the Stanley Cup reunion on Zoom. Uh, You know, I think the league's doing a pretty decent job of uh, getting guys and and being creative. They have the Hughes brothers and the uh, Kachuk. Did you watch that? I I haven't. I watched the Hughes part. I didn't watch the whole. Yeah, no, me too. I only watched. They had the stalls, but you know, look. I mean, the technology's there. Like I floated this yesterday on Twitter that, uh, like, why not have an award show? Like, oh yeah, I'm with you. They will. They will. I'm sure they're they're show. Like, look, the award show in its current form in Vegas. The, the actual presentation of the hour or an hour and a half, like, it's pretty schlocky. I, so I, I'm not going to miss that. But, look, it, they have created this sort of niche space among the North American professional sports leagues of, you know, having their own night and an award show. And I think it's important to give these guys, the winners, uh, their moment. Like, I, you know, I, I just envision Roman Yossi going out to check the mail and, like, opening up. Oh, I got the, the Norris. Hey, cool. Uh, you know, like... I, I'd like something more for these guys. Like, these are the best players in the league. Uh, with Zoom now, like, you could package it up. You could have a host. You could have acceptance speeches still. You don't need the dumb jokes and musical acts and those types of things. But I, I think the league has this production arm that's doing a pretty decent job right now. Uh, I hope that they would look at something like uh, a scaled-down version of the NHL Awards show. Yeah. The Real quick on the Hughes brothers, the first answer that Quinn Hughes gives, he is like, yeah, it's weird. Yeah. And he just kind of cuts off. And it's the most Quinn Hughes, Quinn Hughes quote (laughs) of all time, just because Hughes can be great. Like Hughes can be, first of all, Hughes is a willing participant. He always makes himself available. He'll talk to anybody. 
but occasionally you'll have a conversation with him where he's just not feeling it or and and he starts sort of ending his answers very quickly and you're just like disappointed like i just get disappointed i'm just like okay well i I can't work with this so i'm just gonna come back and try again uh but that quote that yeah it's weird yeah i was just like oh that's quinn hughes is the most quinn hughes person of all time like he's such it's such a singular structure to his answers and for me anyway it felt it felt like familiar like it was like some familiar moment in this sort of uh, wasteland of unprecedented uh, occurrences on my television and on my Twitter feed. So I, I really liked it. I, I, I liked it a lot. And I also would like to see more Hughes Brothers ping pong. Um, <laughs> I think there's an appetite for that. If if they do like a, a weekly Zoom show, um, you know, I, I'm willing to see like Hughes Brothers celebrity ping pong death match. Sign me up. I like it. I'm there for you as well. Uh, don't forget to <laughs> please rate and subscribe the VanCast on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com slash thevancast, you'll get 40% off your subscription to The Athletic. Uh, stay out of the mini eggs. Uh, it is Easter, but... I won't. Just I, I will not. No. Okay. <laughs> All right, you're going to celebrate You're gonna celebrate your, your two-clue win in Name That Canuck with a big handful of mini eggs. I can feel it right now. Most and then wa- certainly. Wash it, wash it down with some canned fish. Uh, happy Easter to everybody. <laughs> Hang in there. Stay safe. Uh, again, I keep saying at some point there's going to be some Canuck news uh, on the news cycle. And when there is, so we'll be here for you to break it all down on the VanCast. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Thanks as always for listening. Uh, it is the VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. <laughs>